Welcome to the Be a Disciple, Make a Disciple podcast. This is episode number seven, and we have a special guest with us tonight, C.L. Mitchell. And we also have, as always, Dakota Smith and myself, Kyle Morris. Uh, Please check us out online at www.bedisciplespodcast.com. We actually got a brand new website up and rolling, so go check that out. Also on Facebook and Instagram, we'll be posting our podcast episodes and videos. But I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to Dakota to introduce our guest tonight. I'm delighted uh, to introduce our guest tonight. Uh, This individual first began as my professor in 2007. Actually, that would be the spring of 2008 at Southwestern Bible College. Uh, But shortly thereafter, he went from professor uh, to friend. And over the years, we've had a chance to know each other from afar. But up until recently, within the last four years or so, I'd like to say, Uh, We had the pleasure of working together as colleagues, as Bible teachers at Gilbert Christian High School, and uh, the more that I spent time with this individual, the more that I spent time with C.L. Mitchell, the more that uh, he became a mentor and in many ways uh, like a father in the faith. So here I am uh, right now introducing C.L. Mitchell. Brother, how are you doing? I am well. How are both of you doing? We are great. We're excited that you're on. Absolutely. It's a Memorial Day, Memorial Day evening, and see how we know that your sacrifice here on the show, um, it, it really means much to us, but thank you so much for taking an hour, giving us of your time, but also giving it to our listeners. Uh, we pray that the Lord would, would move on our behalf. Amen? Amen. I, I, would, I would simply say that I'm so delighted to be with the both of you and with your attending audience and I do pray that this will be a time of not just information, uh, but transformation, resulting in glorifying God and intimacy with Him, from which our souls will never recover. I also want to say that it's such a delight to spend this time with the two of you all. I know that you all are buddies, and what better friendship to have than a friendship that is based on the substratum or the foundation of the Word of God. And what's more, um, Pastor Smith, I'm so humbled and honored to see you. <laughs> and proud of you in Christ, and you're over there in Canada doing senior pastorate work. And uh, I am excited that that if, in fact, I did not withhold emotions, I could be led to tear to see all that God has done in a, a strong exhibition of faithfulness in your life. Mm. To God, brother, brother, thank you. You were certainly and still remain to be uh, a person in my life who assists me or helps scaffold me uh, in the post that I'm in today. You've been a part of this uh, journey of mine for the last couple of years, and it's it's a delight to be able to say that you're in it with me. That's a joy. It's a joy. Amen. Why don't we pray, and uh, we will jump into our questions and our discussion. Uh, if you're listening with us again, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we know that we've been growing in our listenership uh, really every week, and we're just thankful for the fact that you would entrust us with these conversations as they pertain to the Word of God. So let us begin and ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you for this opportunity to speak of you. There's no one better worth speaking of, there's no one better worth following, and there's no better Lord, there's no better King Indeed, we thank you, we love you, 
We're grateful that you've given us of your Holy Spirit. You have not left us as orphans, but you've given us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we can follow you and you know our heart and you intervene for us and you intercede for us. Thank you, Lord, that your ministry is unto us, the bride of Christ. We ask you, God, even right now, in the name of Jesus, we ask you for anyone who's listening to this podcast, who does not yet have a personal relationship with you, Jesus, I ask that their heart would be softened, that the Father would draw them to himself, and that they would see you as Lord and Savior, not just for everyone else, but of their very own heart. We give you this podcast, and we give you this discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so let's yeah, jump first, in it. Uh, yeah, let's go. So uh, yeah, our first question, we ask every guest the same question um, to get to know them a little bit, but it's, who discipled you? We want to know who was influential in your life uh, coming up and learning and growing, and and even to today, who's still a part of that discipleship process as, as we continue that throughout our lives. So please share. So if I am to understand the question correctly, um, um, I am not a distinct guest. Uh, this is a general question which you ask of all guests, and so uh, <laughs> we'll melt that pot, shall we? <laughs> yes, let's do it. I, I, I think that's actually uh, appropriate to ask because there is something of a Christian heritage uh, that we share, and I think that in the First Testament and in the Transitional Testaments, the Gospel, and in the uh, New Testament proper, uh, it seems to me that pedigree and genealogy was of particular importance for service. Um, there was times when pedigree could work against you, and there was times when pedigree could certainly work for you. And I think what we have today is almost lone star Christian who wants to believe that they are almost vacuous in their growth and discipleship. They pick maybe here and there, and I am not uh, demeaning or belittling uh, the facet of media that we have, whereby we can have at our fingertips great teachers all over the world. But there's a difference in a great teacher via media and a great teacher involved in the life of the believer. And so I am humbled to answer that question. I think, first of all, that would have to do with my parents, the believers at rest, uh, Bishop Dr. C.L. Mitchell and my mother, Anna Jewel Mitchell, who are both in heaven and know far better and see far clearer than uh, I see. And uh, my father took a great deal of effort in discipling me to be a believer, uh, a servant of God, and um, a man of God in service to God and to the body of Christ. Uh, one of the most precious things that he said to me, he said to me, son, I knew that you were called to ministry at a very early age, but I held you back more than my other ministers because in the difficult hours in your office, it would be important for you to know that it was not, in fact, your dad who had called you to ministry, but it was God who had called you. And that proved true. Very grateful for that. So um, very early in my uh, um, time of, of walking in faith, it was the Word of God um, taught in context, line upon line and precept upon precept, uh, that the Holy Spirit used as an instrument to persuade and convict and convince my heart of sin and righteousness in keeping with John's theme. And as the Holy Spirit did that through my father's 
preaching and through my mother's prayer life and through her gentle care and consistency. Um, therein, the Holy Spirit worked marvelously to draw me to the most important place that an individual will ever be drawn, and that is to faith in Christ. Um, your faith in Christ is the intimate river from which your service for Christ should flow out. And uh, so uh, they undertook great pains to do that. When I was very, very young, my father had a very vast library, and he would say to me, son, there is a book that's this color on this shelf, and there's a book that's this color. One author was Arthur W. Pink, the famous uh, preacher and scholar, and another uh, was um, uh, various other preachers. And he would say, I want you to just compare those two in this particular arena and tell me your thoughts about it. So very early, he was working both the devotion and the intellect. Um, and, and I take it that that's important in discipleship because we are to, in fact, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, it is a sin not to love God intellectually. Uh, but with him intellectually, you come to love him intimately and deeply and meaningfully and transformatively. And so uh, my father and mother did that for years. I had the blessedness of having a very fine youth pastor who came alongside me in life to do the same. And uh, then beyond that, I had one uh, Dr. Howard Tryon. Uh, um, he graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, and he took me on very early and was willing to lovingly bump heads with me and uh, direct me accordingly. Um, I had the opportunity to be around individuals like Bill B. York, um, had the individuals like um, James Faulkner, who was also from Dallas, and Bill B. York, Dr. B. York, was from uh, Biola or Talbot, rather, Talbot Theological Seminary. Uh, I had the opportunity to have a young Dr. Mark Bailey, uh, who is now the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, teaching at our undergrad uh, school, and I still remember the first sermon that I heard him. I had the privilege to hear a Daryl Del Husay go through the entire book of Daniel in a week, uh, Dr. Del Husay, and I thought, wherever this man is, I want to be. And so he continued that work and has albeit lightly, that same uh, interaction in my life now, sometimes up close and sometimes more distant because of his schedule. And then I had the privilege of having one Dr. Fred Shea, uh, who is just insightful and sharp and brilliant and loving and humorous and scholarly and fatherly. And I could go on with the adjectival uh, compliments that attend him because he really is that. And then in friendship, I had the privilege of uh, my very good friend. Uh, I call him Ravoni, um, uh, John Cor. And he has walked up close and personal in my life for years, along with many other individuals. And so I suppose what I am suggesting is that at any time, I was not necessarily given over to one person who discipled me as much as I was blessed to have a community of the righteous discipling me. And there are those who discipled me, who I've never met and who have never met me, because discipleship is not just that dynamic that happens uh, and as an exchange betwixt uh, those who are uh, the church militant, but you can actually um, be discipled by um, those who have gone to be at rest with the Lord. Uh, the works of St. Augustine, the works of Charles Hatton Spurgeon, etc., the works of Dr. R.C. Sproul, uh, the works of Dr. D. James Kennedy, uh, the works of, uh, I mean, there's so many I could go through. Um, um, living, 
Um, he has discipled me, albeit his, his schedule has not had the time to personally interact with me very much, Dr. Wayne Grudem, Dr. John Frey. Um, uh, I could go on and on. So I, uh, as David said, the line has fallen to me in pleasant places. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And that's an encouragement to our listeners, uh, because the fact of the matter is, uh, it's as Paul said, you know, on one end, bad company corrupts good morals. But on the other, when we dedicate ourselves to being in intimate fellowship with the body of Christ, such as not forsaking the assembling of the saints and things of that nature, there seems to have just a natural overflow of positive results, positive consequences of our sanctification. So the importance of being involved in a local church body, teaching the Bible, walking hand in hand, side by side, rubbing shoulders with one another, what indeed ends up happening is we become like the very person we are following, Jesus ultimately, but Paul also said, follow me. Uh, as I follow Christ. So there seems to be this idea when you follow godly people, you become more and more like Jesus himself. Amen? Yeah, absolutely. I would say with this caveat that following godly people, no one is guilty of uh, becoming a believer or guilty of being a disciple by association. Uh, any more individual becomes a horse by visiting a barn. Um, while that gives you an environment that is conducive to the work of the Holy Spirit in the receptive mind, it is not the promise of discipleship, because I would argue that there are many people who have, in fact, been in the community or in the midst of the community of the redeemed for years and yet have failed to be in such relationships where they've grown or failed to even have come to faith. And they think that they are guilty of being Christ-like because of association. And yet when you ask them in whom they believe, uh, and you ask them what they've believed, and you ask them to um, uh, defend that which they believe, uh, there, is a, um, there is a lack that occurs. And so I want to be very sure that while you can certainly be affected and prayerfully infected by those who you are around, it is not a certainty of sorts because uh, was it not true that uh, many were around the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the days of Jesus, and yet what they were around, who they were around, and the object of that which they turned their attention to, uh, namely the religiosity and the form and the structure and the systems rather than the glory of, of uh, Yahweh, um, I, I think that that kind of misled them. So we need to always remember that association is the the environment, the bedrock, the the place where it is conducive for us to be discipled more than not. But that in and of itself is not equivocal to discipleship. Amen. Amen. I, I could go on and on with, with questions. Kyle, I want to kick it over to you for a brief moment. Do you have any questions uh, in conjunction with uh, this portion of the podcast? Well, I was just kind of thinking about what you were just saying on um, just people hanging around um, church or hanging around other Christians. Um, I, I think of times where, where youth come into youth group or, or college students come in um, they, and they and they get sucked in by the environment or just the culture and they, they like it. They feel accepted. Uh, they do feel loved. Um, but they and then they kind of just become part of the group. But nobody really asks them the question, do you know who Jesus is? <laughs> and they never really go that deep. It's almost like they dive into discipleship, but they did. They forgot the first step of really talking about 
who who is Jesus? Have, do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? Do you believe it? So I just find that interesting. Now you know that's been happening for a long time in different in different ways. But I think just today in the church, I see that at times where we sometimes miss the most important step in talking about salvation, uh, and we we kind of just let them be a part of our group, but we we don't address the most important part of it uh, and and the working of the Holy Spirit there through salvation. Yeah, I think. In response to that, I think that um, the church of today, not altogether, but in many uh, aspects, the church of today uh, no longer has the conviction that the Holy Spirit is the means by which the soul is drawn um, um, to faith in Christ. They no longer believe the passage in John, no one can come unto me unless the Father draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. And so we have replaced that with a lot of, uh, here is the mentorship of uh, Dr. Fred, Fred Shea, amusement, ah, musing, uh, the Latin negation with the root term muse. We literally draw people into entertainment that is thoughtless at root. And so they're having fun and our ideology is, and then maybe on the back end, we can hit them with the whammy of Christ. And I see this um, as altogether opposite of what the first century church did. And I think that whenever you're looking hermeneutically at the law of first mention, whatever was in the original seems to tease out in some manner in the ingredient of that which remains. And so I think that what we have to do is realize who the object of our affection and devotion and love and adherence is to. Uh, secondarily, we have to be true to him and realize, although we might employ various methodologies, we must let people know to whom they are coming. You are coming to Jesus, and we must be clear concerning the representation of the gospel message, and we must be careful to, to convey it in the manner in which the apostles were to convey it and did faithfully convey it. And, and, and in fact, I play off of this term. That is apostello, right? A present active indicative first person singular that was a nautical term or a shipping term. And the idea was that the ship was at port and the captain of the ship was entrusted with cargo. And he was literally sent. That's the word. The equivalent um, um, of apostello in, um, uh, in the uh, Masoretic text is shalach to be sent, and the Septuagintal term that um, um, stands uh, behind that or, or, or is the term that they translated for shalach is apostello. And of course, then you gain the noun of a position, apostolos, or an apostle, if you will. And so these were simply men who had entrusted into the cargo of their clay vessels the truth and the responsibility of the ship's caps, captain was not to add to the cargo so as to contaminate it, nor to have the ship bereft of the cargo so that it would arrive at uh, dock having less than what was given. And so we're just couriers. That's all that we are. We convey that message, woe to us. Uh, when we uh, arrive and, and the Holy Spirit has arranged an opportunity and the ship's cargo is mixed and muddled with another message or it lacks the cargo that God has placed in it. Uh, this cargo with which we travel, it is an eternal cargo. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the cargo lasts forever. The word of yeah. our God. 
Yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, our, our job is to be faithful with the message. Amen. I mean, how beautiful are the feet of those who come with the good news, essentially. And uh, what I find nowadays is, is you're right. We so often want them to sit in our pew. Maybe we define success as a growing church by simply having someone arrive and sit and become a part of the fold. But the real victory is when we invest in lives so as to see their transformation done by the Holy Spirit, done by their active faith in Christ where they get born again. I, I see nowadays that we have often downplayed a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, a personal, because if we're not careful, uh, we can simply reduce Jesus to an idea as opposed to someone who's risen from the dead, resurrected from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father, whom I may know right now personally, intimately. Absolutely. Amen. I agree. Um, and, and we go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Seal. We we have to be careful to to see to that, right? Um, uh, because according to the biblical text, prosperity is defined, and I'm being mm. quite um, lexical now, as a good path. Um, in other words, biblical success is when God gives you a push in the right direction. And the right direction may feel wrong to your emotions, but it is right objectively because it is that which subscribes to the standard of truth, to to quote uh, Dr. Norman Geisler. Uh, it is that which is most conducive to reality. Amen. Amen. CL, if we were to continue with the second component, of this podcast, and if someone were to basically ask the question, okay, I'm starting to put it all together, uh, maybe I've never stepped foot in church before, but I'm listening to this podcast, what does it mean to be a disciple at the core? What is discipleship? How can we just take a, a meta-narrative approach from Old Testament through New Testament at the end of the day, what is being a disciple? What is walking in discipleship? Got it. If you'll allow me, I'm going to start probably polemically, which means um, almost argumentatively, right? And I want to do some comparisons because details matter. And um, uh, while you have some terms that are pressed off or pushed off as almost synonymous, and they are almost employed by many pastors, by many youth pastors, by many believers today, also by secularists, um, um, those terms, while they are pushed off in that way, um, do not necessarily um, have the same uh, root or result or intent behind them. I want to suggest that discipleship can involve mentorship, but is not, in fact, mentorship. And sometimes the two terms are are used synonymously, and I think that's a fallacious, a fallacious usage or utility of, of what the core meaning of discipleship is and what the intent and the ultimate goal of discipleship is. So let's just look at some differences betwixt the two, uh, if we may. Mentorship is general. Discipleship is specific. Now, there's a vast difference there uh, if we were only going to address that. Uh, secondarily, mentorship is focused on behavioral modification from the outside possibly working inwardly without the specific focus on the person of Jesus Christ. I can mentor you for external modification, behavioral change. 
I can also mentor you on certain ideologies that you want to change, certain thinking patterns. But I can do that, frankly, with good, noble statements that are general of sorts, but do not necessarily use the word of God as the manual and do not use the person of Christ as the ultimate exemplar for how we are to be changed, nor does it employ the power of the Holy Spirit whereby real change, transformation, not adjustment occurs. So I want to make a differentiation, a very hard one, betwixt mentorship and discipleship, which centers on an, uh, um, uh, uh, a very specific, pointed focus on the information or the data of biblical truth. Uh, secondarily, uh, it issues on conformity to that truth. Uh, third, it issues uh, or it deals with the power by which one conforms to that truth. Uh, it also uh, deals with the consequences, both temporally and eternity, eternally rather, with our subscribing to or the lack thereof to that truth. Um, and next, it seeks to spread that truth, both in the life of the individual, holistically, as well as into the farther reaching community of that individual. It is really a kingdom takeover within my person that spreads outside of my person to God's world. Mm. Amen. I'll pause there before we go to a biblical um, 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 flow of that so that you all can interact with it. Well, I love how you ended because at the end of the day, the biggest difference is who has rule and reign over your heart. In order to become a part of God's kingdom, uh, the kingdom must first begin within rule and reign within one's very own heart. Does Jesus have full control over the heart or not? See, all right now, on the weeks where we are not interviewing guests, we're, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount and we're reviewing things such as the kingdom of God. But that, that seems to be the, the dividing line between the two. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was kind of really thinking, you know, about... Um, why people come to church, um, or even people who go to church right now who are are so much about the external, or so much about, um, you know, I need to change my ways, I need to stop doing this or stop doing that, these behaviors, and they're so focused on those, um, and, and they want to go to church to learn how to get rid of these behaviors, or to be better, or to be better for God, or whatever their reason is, but I feel like they just totally miss out. And I'm sure you'll get more into this as you get into the more of the biblical uh, context of it. But just that, I, you know, I, I see so many people coming who, who just want to change this outside appearance of sorts. And when you really talk to them about the heart, the internal, that um, they almost get pushed away a little bit, or they're almost taken off guard that why do I, I don't need to address that. I just have this one issue I need to talk about. And you're like, that's, we're not going to start there. <laughs> and we talked about that last week in our in starting the Sermon on the Mount is just looking at specifically uh, poor in spirit and understanding how broken we are and and them not really getting to that point and understanding that and they just want to fix some outward thing and and look good or go to church and think that's going to fix them, uh, but it's not. So just, and, and they want to have a mentor, like you said, um, not really a disciple, someone who's discipling them, but just somebody who's mentoring them and gets them to a certain place and then they, they're good and then they leave. Uh, and I've seen that a few times. So it's just interesting that um, they people think the church is this or that's what the Bible teaches and and they don't really get into what um, you know God is teaching us through scripture. In fact, it's 
what we're not advocating for in being a Christian, what we're not advocating for is a sense of moralism or a sense of uh, bettering one's life through their their outward actions. CL, you and I have spoken about this passage before, and I've heard you speak on it a number of times, but for the Christian, Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed, which is the outside in to this world, but be transformed, the inside out, by the renewing of your mind, so that so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There being a difference between conforming and transforming. Absolutely. I, I want to just um, harken back to a statement that uh, you made, Kyle, which I thought was very insightful. And I'm going to rephrase what you said in the form of a question. If we are simp- simply, as Mr. Smith said, moralist, or if we are simply behavioral behavioral modificationalist, right? Then what is the distinct difference betwixt Christianity, Jehovah Witness, um, Mormonism, um, other uh, religions, even um, Islamic religion that uh, seeks very much to control the outer display of activity in the life of the individual? Or what difference uh, from the person down the street who is an atheist but really seems to behave quite uh, upstanding and appropriately? Let's reverse it in a different way, and let's say, and if in fact the proof of our salvation and the means of discipleship is all behavioral modification, then what happened to Moses? Uh, what happened to Abram, who became Abraham? What happened to Lot? His life is very complicated. Uh, what happened to Noah? Uh, what happened to, uh, shall I go on? Uh, what happened to the disciples who were right there with God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and, uh, and many times showed that um, uh, they had not only gotten the lesson, but they had difficulties controlling their own um, external tendencies. And so it seems to me that there is no great distinction if all we are going at is the outside. That could simply be handled by any common guru who has uh, a series of um, inspiring statements that could be uh, accomplished by Asiatic wisdom from ancient saints or Africanized statements that have been passed uh, along by the fathers and the ancients from years. There's nothing to distinguish that. Uh, And so we must be careful because um, um, it is the Spirit of God alone who is able to so apply efficaciously the work of Christ that he makes us not um, um, individuals who modify, but he makes us completely altogether new. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he's not modified, he's new. The former passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And so I think we must be very careful about trying to see Christianity's evidence in what an individual wears, how long the skirt is, how, uh, how tidy the suit is, whether they have or lack tattoos, whether they have piercings or things of that nature, uh, whether they subscribe to our uh, list of, of uh, behavioral tendencies that are pietistic and, and line up. I would say this so daringly. Many individuals in the current church could have lined up very well with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they could not have lined up with a ragtag group that was following an itinerant rabbi. <laughs> Amen to that, brother.
Amen. So CL, if you were to continue in this second uh, component on discipleship from the Bible, uh, what other things would you add to the conversation uh, having finished the polemic that you began with? Um, I think that there are many aspects to discipleship. First of all, discipleship, while it is interesting, we always seem to start, I think, in the transitional testaments, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And particularly, I think I'm being rather generous with that. We tend to start in Matthew 28, as though this is where discipleship began. And while it is a key scripture, it is certainly not the origin of discipleship. It is just a very fine articulation uh, and summation of uh, the command uh, to make disciples, which is the main verb in that particular text. And it uh, has then a participial construct, make disciples while you're going. Um, uh, We also see discipleship occurring within the framework of the New Testament proper, Acts to Revelation, but I think what we see is this element of discipleship um, uh, being given to us all throughout, although in some ways cloaked and not necessarily bearing that name, I think we actually see it throughout the whole of Scripture in various ways. Um, An interesting text is uh, when God creates the man. And uh, chapter number one of Genesis is the creation account wherein God creates. Um, uh, He spends the first three days forming and then the next three days filling. And on the sixth day, he creates man. And of course, man is not the utopia of the creation narrative. Uh, There shouldn't really be a chapter two there numerically because the text of creation continues into chapter two with uh, the seventh day of creation where Yahweh sits enthroned upon his creation as master and sovereign of it, um, reflecting on it, and he then issues some level of vice regency that he intended in chapter one to the human species in chapter number two to cultivate, etc. cetera. Uh, but what he does is he immediately takes the new human, right? The, spe- the general noun, Adam, human, and also the general noun is a specific noun. Uh, or a proper noun, because he was not only a human, but his name was human or man. And so within the framework of the context, he takes this new human and uh, he disciples him. This is what you are to do. Here's my word. This is what you are not to do. God is the first discipler. And as the first discipler in Genesis chapter number one, he illustrates what cultivation is to look like. And then he gives the truth of that protection, guardianship, and cultivation to the man. And then comes to the garden to walk with him in relationship consistently to see to it that he keeps it. It's the man that steps away from the discipleship relationship, not Yahweh. Wow. All can interact with that and then we'll go forward. Amen. You know, I think what it argues for at the end of the day is that God has such purposes for those he has created in his image, being all humanity. But his purpose is that we would be reflectors of his very nature and character. The purpose is not for us 
to reflect an image of ourselves. It's not for us to make ourselves enthroned as God and King, but in fact, the purpose of our very life is to reflect the one who has made us to begin with. Us being beneath him, as God rules us, we rule the world in humility, in love, as he's called us to do it. Amen. So why don't we do this? We want to move to component three of this discussion in the podcast where we can speak about what it looks like to be a man of integrity. So really just refining and getting down. If if we have men who are listening, by the way, if you're an individual and you're listening and you don't happen to be a man, but let's say that uh, you are you are someone who is listening on, on behalf of another, on behalf of your husband, whatever it may be, uh, we want you to know that we're pursuing this question because God has given uh, men such an ability to lead, and we do believe that there are men within our culture, if I can say this lightly, who have dropped the ball on leadership. And what we'd like to do is examine what the Bible says from this component. So CL, would you lead us? What does it look like to be a man of integrity? Absolutely. May, may I, before I engage in uh, being a man of integrity, may I answer the previous question, albeit shortly, because I failed to do that. And so um, I want to make sure that I do that. Uh, discipleship canonically would involve, first of all, the content of truth. Uh, whether you're looking at it in its early form in Genesis or Exodus, etc., or whether you're looking at it in its more developed form, um, um, in uh, the progressive revelation of the transitional testaments and the New Testament proper, it always involves the content of truth. Uh, secondarily, it involves a new life. Um, because if, in fact, the person that we're trying to make a disciple of, now I take it that that starts with the new birth or the birth from above, and then growing as a child, a natural desire, a stretching out for the milk of the word, etc. Uh, of course, you would see this in the first testament. Uh, the people of God, when they were when they were covenantally connected with God, God gave them the word. God grew them in the word. God God uh, immersed them in the word. And so it involves the right content. It involves a very uh, uh, real relationship in the first testament with Yahweh uh, by faith alone. Uh, the content has progressed, but the means by which we have connected to a relationship with God uh, has not changed. It's always been faith alone in the revealed God of Scripture and the content that, that he has given. So that has remained the same progressively. Um, uh, as we go on, it involved not only hearing, but adherence as well, right? This this terminology, Shema Yisrael Adonai Lehenu Adonai Echad, this word Shema uh, was to hear with the intent to obey. It's always involved in acquiescence or an obedience or, or a surrender to that which one has heard. And it's always next involved walking alongside in relationships, sometimes in a rougher relationship, sometimes in a more smooth relationship. But it is always involved walking about in a mutual relationship of glorifying God and edifying one another, um, wherein Correction could be possible, uh, uh, reproving, um, instruction in righteousness and things of that nature. Sometimes it was done in one, sometimes with one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes it was done in community. Sometimes it was done in a more official way in the school of the prophets. Sometimes it was done by the priest or the prophets to the people congregationally, uh, like Ezra when he read the Torah 
and, and brought them back to the terms of the covenant, etc. So sometimes it's done in various ways. As it progresses throughout scripture, um, discipleship, and I want to be very careful about this, is pointing us back to the truth. It becomes the standard. God's character as expressed in biblically inspired truth becomes the standard whereby the person's life is aligned. They're not aligned to my life. Sometimes disciples can push off their preferences as truth. That's not what it is. It's aligned according to God's word so that the apostle Paul can say, well, I'm glad you're following me, but you're following me as I'm following someone else, right? As I'm following Christ. It also involved intimacy with God through prayer, where God communicated and where the person communicated to God. As we see it in the New Testament, it progresses in its specificity and thins out, not just to Yahweh or to God in general, but to the specific second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ. Discipling is now seen as following and becoming like the first century rabbi himself, God in the flesh. And that involves, again, a holistic intake of Scripture, not just your favorite part, not just the New Testament, but the whole of Scripture that is useful. What's more, it involves not just I'm relating to God vertically, I'm relating to the Scriptures historically, but it also is I'm relating to lives personally in my community. I'm walking in the community of the redeemed where they are able to look into my life. I am able to look into their lives. And we're not being critical for the sake of being critical, but we're being critiquers of godliness, judging amongst ourselves so that we might in all respects grow up in the grace of God. This is the process, uh, process of uh, sanctification, peripatos, which is the word which is the word from which we gain peripatology, or learning to walk in godliness. It's from the Hebrew word halak, from which we get halachim, and the concept is literally to walk. But the concept, metaphorically and figuratively, is to walk in our lifestyle or in our living or in our behavior. And so, our sanctification, our discipleship in this area is not going to be perfect ultimately and finally. We're still going to sin, we're still going to make mistakes, but we are looking forward to the ultimate sanctification and consummation of the discipleship process. Part of it will be when we are in heaven and we have the fallen nature removed, while our body will be here, we will spiritually be with the Lord and we will be in a state and status of sanctification without sin. However, our sanctification is not complete until God will resurrect and reanimate and give life to our physical body so that we are rejoined and we are in a glorified state and we have a pneumatica soma. It is a spiritual body. It is not a ghostly body. It is not an apparitional body. It is not a non-corporeal body. It is simply a real body. The noun is stronger than the adjective and the adjective is describing the noun, it is a real body, but it is spiritual in nature. What does that mean? It is a body which is given over holistically and altogether to the behest, to the moving, to the wooing, to the driving, to the following of the commands of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, our discipleship will go from this progressive level to the realized level where we will be altogether perfected in the presence of God and will be able to sit as the co-heirs that we were intended to with Christ Jesus to reign and to rule in the new heaven and the new earth. That's a very short summary, but that's <laughs> canonical discipleship throughout Genesis to Revelation. 
Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question again. What's discipleship? No, I'm, I'm just teasing, CL. <laughs> Love you, brother. Thank you for that kind of word from God's word. <laughs> it's certainly a journey. It I is. mean, the the beginning of the race, as Paul says, is when I put my faith in Jesus Christ for him to save me from sin, to save me from the wrath of the Father, to save me from hell, and in fact, to tr- transform my heart. Uh, but that also assumes that there's a, a finish to that race, and the finish line is when I meet Jesus face to face. Amen. Yes, Amen. yes. Concerning integrity, which you asked me, let's let's do a First Testament and a... Um, and, and a transitional and New Testament uh, kind of take on that. I'm going to argue that the Hebrew word that is translated integrity really seems, in my understanding, to, to speak of um, a condition of being without blemish, um, uh, a perfection, a completeness, if you will. Um, in certain contexts, it can be soundness. It can be sincerity. It can be uprightness. It can be wholeness, as it were. Um, integrity then is that which is true of God. It's rather interesting because um, when in Isaiah chapter number six, uh, Isaiah is in the presence of God. Um, He says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. Um, Now, what's interesting is he he hears the antiphonal call and exchange of the seraphs, uh, the, the ones who are beings made of pure fire and may in fact have serpentile um, looks to themselves, which is very interesting and deserves a great deal of conversation. They are outside of the angel class. Uh, They are beings that are seraphs, uh, seraphim, the masculine plural Hebrew construct. And then of course you have different beings that are cherubim, again, the masculine plural construct in Hebrew, uh, but they are the cherubs, right? And uh, Lucifer would have been of the cherub class, not the seraph class. But anyway, with all of that said, uh, there is a word that is used three times, and some think that it's just a repetition. Uh, I, I, I tend to instead think that it is a progression. They say he is kadosh, 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 or he is holy, holy, holy. One of the aspects of his distinct holiness is his transcendency. He is altogether other. And that's not a spatial difference as much as it is a categorical difference. He is God in every way. And Isaiah realizes that he is not. He sees how far removed he is from God at that moment. And in fact, I I borrow now the words of the believer at rest, Dr. R.C. Sproul, while God is transcendent and altogether other, he is not so transcendent that there is no common ground which he has with man. Because if he had that, then there would be no way in which we could have any sort of fellowship with God. But the Imago Dei, ties us in with him by his own good kindness and grace, quote, unquote. Now, and, and that was a summative quote. To say that then, the idea is in one facet of this term, kadosh, he is one with what he says and one with what he does. So you'll never find a difference or a distinction or any sort of separation, not even a splinter or a slither of room betwixt what God says and how he behaves. That's integrity. That's integrity in the first testament. Um, boy. Now, if you look at that from the standpoint of God, he is always consistent with what he says. I can't find an individual in the first testament who's the same. 
because man is not. In fact, um, in the presence of Yahweh, um, uh, in fact, uh, I think that Isaiah refers to him as Yahweh Sebiot, the Lord of, of armies there in the text. But in his presence, Isaiah sees this as a prophet, as a believer, but also as a man. He is absolutely altogether integral. He is one with what he says and one with what he does, and he is transcendent. But I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the middle of a people who have had the word of God, given their word, but they can't keep their lifestyle consistent with what they promise in their relationship with God. So I think integrity in the First Testament is is presented to us in very general terms. Again, I gave you a lexical range of, of, of terms that could be used in various contexts to highlight this. But I think one of the things that we must look at is ultimately, whether it is wholeness, whether it is soundness, whether it is perfection, whether it is sincerity, whether it is completeness, whether it is being without blemish, the idea, of course, blemish, having a, ceremonially as, a ceremonial aspect in the, in the covenant um, um, sacrifices and the cultic sacrifices of Leviticus, etc. But with that said, I think that what we see is God holds this perfectly, and man aspires, stretches himself forward toward it, but struggles with it. Struggles with it in the first testament, and I think that's due to this chapter, um, Genesis chapter number three, uh, our fall. Uh, we no longer inherently have the capacity to be absolutely whole. We realize that we are torn to pieces because our, our, our inability to be integral concerning the character of God and the truths of God become most evident the closer that we come to God. I would say that's the First Testament perspective. I'd say the Transitional Testament perspective and the New Testament proper perspective is Honesty and adherence to a pattern of good works. To quote another author, I think that again, this seed that's in the first testament shows up in the transitional testaments in honesty, but also in a behavior that is consistent with that which has been said to us by God and that which we say. I think that's the root, and now all other things can spring therefrom. I'll pause and let you all interact with that. Yeah, I mean, to a degree, uh, what I can say right off the bat is the, the sobering realization that what I say is not often what I do, and what I do is not often what I say immediately separates me from who God is and will continue to be for all eternity in his very nature. And it points us back to the original focus of the conversation at hand. When a person realizes that they are indeed inconsistent, or put it this way, that they are indeed imperfect, they then must view themselves in light of who God is. At the moment you realize your imperfections, at the moment you realize your inconsistencies as a person, not in comparison on a horizontal level with other people, but the moment you realize who I am, how I live, what I say is inconsistent with the very God who created me. When that realization takes place, then there can be this trans, uh, this transferring, this, this trust of, 
God, you're right. I'm wrong. You were right all along. And I will entrust myself to your faithfulness all over again so that you can transform my life so that I can be who you have created me to be at the end of the day. And I know, Dakota, you you mentioned um, talking about leadership or men in leadership. I'm just kind of thinking about that, how... um, if 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 you're in a leadership role and and you're not accepting the fact that you're not going to be consistent that you are going to at times to fall and not do those things but then in those times try to cover it up or or not give it to god or you know not repent uh and, and ask you know and and ask others for forgiveness as well in that position of leadership but continue to cover and cover and cover and get yourself in a position to where you almost are fully just not following Christ or maybe even leaders who, who aren't following Christ at all, but they get themselves in that position where they need to continue to cover and cover and cover to the point where they don't even know where to go at that point. Or the fact that they're just going to, whatever they say is truth because they've kind of gone off the, off the, off the rails when it comes to leadership and, and how just devastating that can be to people who are following. So I just think of leadership in, in that in that example, and, and as you mentioned earlier, and how we can just continue to get further away and lead people in the wrong direction if we ourselves as leaders do not um, submit to God and, and repent in times and and be able to say, hey, I mess up too uh, as a leader, and, and that is that can be good leadership if we do that, but a lot of times we fail to do so, um, and that can get us in a lot of trouble. I think the first step is a cognizance concerning humanity, that it's not if we will fail, it's when we will fail, and to the degree that we will fail. Um, I think there's something of that knowledge that brings about a very sobering humility and requires a very definitive um, dependency on God. Secondarily, I think that we must realize that we can have appeared to succeed in the eyes of men and yet not have integrity in the eyesight of God, because we can be one with what we say and do toward men, but lack the capacity to be one with what we say and do toward God. Um, And so we must measure integrity rightly. First, as you said, Dakota, vertically, then horizontally. And the more we are cognizant of our vertical responsibility, the more we will be able to carry out an appropriate horizontal dependable ability where people can say, now that person is trustworthy. Um, I I think next that when we're talking about um, um, integrity, we have to realize that, that as servant leaders, who are seeking to be integral. Um, uh, scripture does not only inform us. The Spirit of God does not only help us and empower us, but it actually puts limitations upon us. Because sometimes we want to be more than we ought to attempt to be, and that causes a lapse in our integrity. We overextend ourselves and we try to seek to uh, uh, be more uh, than we should in any given context. Um, In pastorate, it's the superhero complex, right? Um, The idea is we can be all things to all people. No, we can't. 
And so it sometimes, a lack of integrity can come from a really good heart, just an uninformed mind that says, I am the central hub around which all things spin. And that's simply not the truth. There's only one rock that the church is built on. And, and that rock is not, thank God, made up of us. Amen to that. Amen. Um, I, I think I, I want to, to say something to, uh, you've, you've been very pointed with, um, with the subject matter, namely integrity. So let's take integrity real quick in the last few moments and do some discipleship with it. Uh, so, so that we somehow, you know, mix the two together. Um, first of all, what about a father to his son? And what about a father who's already in the role and he knows that he doesn't measure up to that and his wife sees it and others do? First of all, let's talk about a father to his son or to his daughter. I think there are times when you need to be very careful, even if you can do a great deal, to do less very intentionally and to leave a pause between that which you say to your children and that which you do so they can see you giving your word and fulfilling your word. And then you can actively, proactively point out did you see that that was daddy, not in arrogance, but in humility, being integral? I told you this this week, and I came through with it the following week. In that way, we teach our children how to anticipate, identify, and expect integrity. I think um, as men to our children, we are very clear to say daddy is not the be all, end all. I think it's important to say, and I have someone who I don't always line up to. I don't always walk in step with him. I don't always walk in step with his word. And so I may not necessarily all the time tell you the ways in which I'm out of step, but you should know that there are many times that I'm out of step. And so daddy, um, daddy is calling you to follow him as he's following someone else who always keeps his word and to have a sincerity. Listen, daddy will let you down. I, you know, my daughter, and I pray that, that God will bless this and tends to make me rather emotional. She's asked me several times in her life. I hope it's not because she knows something, uh, but she's asked me several times in my life. She said, daddy, promise me that you're going to be there when I'm married. Wow. Right now, what's the quick answer? Absolutely. Yes, of course. That's also a prideful answer. James tells me that. This, you frankly don't know what tomorrow holds. Come now, you who say tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and do this or that, conducting business. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord is willing and he allows it to occur. I told him. Baby, I want you to know this with all my heart. I want to be there. There's, there's, there's nothing in me that doesn't want to be there. I want to be strong. I want to be healthy. I want to be full of vigor and delight. I want to be there in every way. But daddy doesn't know that he will be able to. 
but if God grants me the grace, I'll try. But remember this. If daddy is not there, God always will be. That was integrity in a conversation. Um, because now I've directed her not only to my inability and incapacity, but I've directed her to him who will never disappoint her. Um, for one spouse. I think God is so wonderful. He puts your sanctification, your closest sanctification in this attractive shell. And you get attracted to them, you fall in love with them, and then they are the, the means by which you are more than not made most holy. Uh, um, because <laughs> yes. uh, Sweetie and I are at odds. We are not. In fact, we are. I, I praise the Lord that we are very, very blessed. What I'm simply saying is, your spouse is going to see more of you than anyone else. They're going to see the amazing ups and the the uh, the very deep downs. They're going to see that. They're going to see you when you are a man of trust and faith. You believe the right things and you trust and entrust yourself to the God who you believe. They're going to see that. And, and I think walking with them, not in this presumed authority that has the roar of the lion who can out-roar, out-talk, out-power, but to drop oneself into the position uh, that 1 Corinthians drops us and to say, the head of Christ is the father, and the head of the man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and to say, you know, sweetheart, I apologize because I wasn't so aligned with him and that put me in misalignment. That invites a humility. And as you said, Kyle, I think you can simply take from that germ form, that seed form into every arena. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. It's, it's all sacred, right? Because God owns the world. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And so what we do counts because it's ministry and might not be the official uh, ministry that we consider behind four walls with the name of an incorporated church, etc. But if it is the church active to do the will of God, it is a ministry, in whatever environment it's in. And in that environment, we have to, we have, to have a, an approach that says, um, I want to be perfect. He's going to make me perfect. But my interactions with you here and now are hardly going to be perfect. And I, I want to start that way, not because I'm trying to lower the standard to say, don't expect anything great of me. The reason I'm, I'm starting that way is to say, I want to start at the point where you see me in reality and transparency so that by the time I breathe my last, what you can say is not you've seen a perfect man, but you've seen a developing man. A discipleship in life that has taken God seriously, faith in his son seriously, my imperfection seriously, but my calling to be better conformed to the world? No. Transformed? Yes. By behavioral modification? Certainly not. By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that legitimately changes me from second to second, from moment to moment, from day to day. Yes, I'm walking not by infusion. I don't have this situation where he's making me better from the inside. He's imparted his righteousness to me. He is transforming me and changing me, and I'm growing in that. 
and my will is involved in it. If he would just cause me to grow and take my will out, then it would be as good as done. But because he's let me put my mind, my thoughts, my life, my choices in it, it tends to muddle the experience. And what really surprises me is God wants me involved. He's not looking for roboticons who he can just snap his finger and say, perfect. Can you believe that God actually enjoys my progressive walk in him? Can you believe that like a father who stands before his child learning to walk and the child stumbles, but when the child walks and comes toward the daddy with a smile, that the dad says, come on, come on. And while God does not delight in our sin, he does delight in our walk. And a walk that stumbles toward him is yet directionally toward him. And I would like to think that if my fallen face has a smile toward my babies, that his glorious face has a greater smile toward those who look to him for growth in grace because they long to be one with what they say, one with what he has said and who they are. And that seems to me to be the picture of men and women longing, yearning to be disciples. Absolutely. Professor, friend, brother, would you end us in prayer? Would you pray over this ministry? Would you pray for our listeners? And would you allow us also uh, to finish to pray for you? Praise God and Father. What a privilege it is to call you. And not call you that from distance, but call you that so up close because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwells, lives in me, in us. How humbled and honored we are that you have called us as the disciples' friend. We long not to take that for granted. We long not to take you from, for granted. You are great and holy, incomparable in all your ways. There's none like you either in heaven or in earth or beneath the earth. So great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. Surely your character is holy. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us where we have misstepped, where we've made a miserable mess of what it looks like to be disciples, trying to walk toward you, Daddy stumbling here and there. Yet, Lord, whether we walk in tears, whether we walk in laughter, whether we walk in fear, whether we walk in courage, we yet walk toward you. Thank you that it is directionally toward you. And it is progressive. And that which we stumble in now, you will perfect in the day of Christ Jesus. I pray for the men, the women, the listeners, of this particular podcast, whether they be local within the framework of the United States or whether they be international, I pray with and for them now that as you have always helped your disciples, so help us now. Be our ever-present help in the time of trouble, the trouble that is within and the trouble that is without. We depend on and look to you alone is the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you for those persons who you have used to inform us of truth and walk alongside us as we grew by your spirit in truth. 
time would fail me to recount all of the men and women whereby that was accomplished and is yet being accomplished today. But to say thank you is my language. It is the, the poetry of my heart to you for them. And every moment that I get language directly to them as well. Lord, would you please speak to those who are downtrodden, who are discouraged, whose heads are bowed down and whose souls are wounded? Would you please speak to those who have ill information, a lack of truth, and long to have transformation instead of behavioral modification? Dear Father, would you please draw them by placing a hook in their resistant will and winning, triumphing over them in Christ. And Lord, I know that the ministry that I have the opportunity to be a part of this evening is doing that. I know that the pumping of the heart of Mr. Smith and his brother Kyle is for the winning and growing of souls. Father, speak to them now. Tell them where to cast the net. And I pray that there would be such a catch of fish that their nets simply would fail to hold them all. So empower them, so enable them, so use them that eternity alone will tell the story of the efficacy that the Holy Spirit accomplished in and through. And ultimately and finally, in all that we are and do, please be glorified and draw us into intimacy with you from which our very souls will never recover. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Kyle, do you want to close us out and pray for CL? Yeah. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for giving us this time. Um, to just speak, um, to speak about your word and your love and, uh, and just how you transform us, Lord, and, and to speak about discipleship. Uh, I just want to pray for CL uh, as he just continues his ministry for you, Lord, that he continues to follow you and continues uh, just to surrender to you, Lord, and, and, that, uh, and we just thank you so much for allowing him to be with us tonight and and I pray for him as he moves forward in life and for his family and for his wife and children and and uh that you just continue to bless them lord and uh, and their ministry together and um continue to grow him as a father and a husband and and as he continues to uh be a, a disciple of you lord uh, again I thank you in Jesus name amen amen and that concludes the end of episode number seven. Thank you so much, uh, all listeners who are, are participating and uh, just enjoying our conversations uh, through Scripture. And uh, that is our intent as we continue to uh, do these podcasts. We just want uh, people to be encouraged by the Word of God and the conversations that we have, and hopefully we'll open up dialogue in your life as well. Uh, make sure you go to BeDisciplesPodcast.com. Uh, again, we updated our website. Very excited about that. You can find uh, more information about us as we continue to update the website. We'll have some devotional blogs on there soon, transcripts of our podcast to read as well uh, for those who, who prefer to read. But also, 
uh, just a, a way to uh, share what we're um, doing here with the Be a Disciple, Make a Disciple podcast. Please go on social media. When we post stuff, please re- repost it, share it. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you, CL. Thank you, Dakota. And we will see you next week with episode eight as we continue our discussion on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, very excited for that. So thank you all. Have a wonderful evening. God bless.